Luke 11, verse 13. And an unpardonable suggestion. When you think of something that the Lord might take offense to, it's interesting how this passage unfolds because it really begins just a few verses earlier in verse 11 through 13 as we, as we build up to what's coming tonight for us. But the Lord's commented on His goodness, on His generosity, the goodness of God, the generosity of God. And it's always interesting to me to see how people respond to the goodness and to the generosity of God. And when you think about the world that we live in, God being who He says He is, He's absolutely sovereign. He can be taught nothing. He knows everything. He's everywhere all at once. He's omniscient. omniscient. He's omnipotent. He's omnipresent. When you think of that and you think that God is good, He, he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust, but God is good. And he still does wonderful things. And man's response doesn't show a whole lot of appreciation most of the time. And so the response to God's generosity, to God's goodness, very often, from a human perspective, is just like the Pharisees, just like the Sadducees, just like the religious rulers that Jesus is going to be speaking to here. And so they make an unpardonable suggestion, something that's very hard for us to understand. Father, we thank you tonight for your goodness. And we thank you tonight for your generosity to us. And we pray, Lord, that we'd never fall into this category of people that could see the goodness of God and see the generosity of God. And Lord, then begin to attribute that to to evil. And so, Lord, we pray that you'd bless us with your presence, pray that you'd speak to us. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Verse 13 here in Luke 11, If if you then, and you, you can see how Jesus is attaching it to what comes before, if you then, being evil, now remember that Jesus is, actually declaring what the Bible declares very plainly. That the heart of man is desperately wicked. It's evil. So much so that we can't even know our own heart sometimes. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? And so the Holy Spirit is now seen as that gift that God gives to believers, even in spite of the fact that we don't always handle it just properly and correctly. And it goes on in verse 14, and it begins to unfold the story for us. It says, as he was casting out a demon, and it was mute, and whenever a demon would come out of someone, generally speaking, the demon would possess the problem that was in the person that was possessed. And so this obviously was a person who was made mute, and so the demon comes out And it was mute. And so it was when the demon had gone out that the mute spoke. The person who had been previously unable to speak. And the multitudes marveled. And so Jesus is doing a stone-cold miracle. 
This guy has been possessed. He hasn't been able to speak. The Lord removes this demon from this man, and all of a sudden the man begins to speak, and the multitudes marveled. But I want you to see how people respond sometimes to the goodness of God. And we have these kind of things happen all the time. I can tell you that some of the worst chastisements I have ever had in my entire life are when we, as a church, Christians, godly people, do godly things, often for ungodly people. It is amazing how often those ungodly people will turn on you and begin to speak evil things of you for years for years, we were in Running Springs. We had a food ministry. Once a month on Saturday, we go to the food bank in Riverside, the Second Harvest Food Bank, and we'd pick up multiple truckloads of food, take them to Running Springs. Which, by the way, Running Springs, the whole town is only 5,000 people. There are more, church, more people go to this church than there are in the entire town of Running Springs. So when you think about it, it puts it in perspective for you. We would do a giant food, food distribution. We would spend hours and a bunch of money putting together usually four to ten bags of food per person. And we would have 100, 150, sometimes 200. We would give away five or 600 bags of food on a Saturday. And it was incredible how many people who are getting free food that's not paid for by the government, that's out of the goodness of the heart of God's people, which is the hand of God, by the way. When we do good things, it's God's hand working through you. You can't believe how many people, well, I can't believe there's no fresh meat in here. There's no broccoli. I mean, they would literally complain about the free food that was being given to them, so much so that they would talk about turning us into someone. Now, I don't know who you turn someone into, to that is doing a good thing for free, but they're kind of hard to find government agencies that will actually take that call. It is amazing to me how often people can see the goodness of the Lord and then find something wrong with it and begin to complain. And they often will actually say, well, I'm a Christian too. Aren't we all Christians? And so the Lord now is going to make a very strong case that the indwelling of the Holy Spirit is one of those things that you can see in the life of a believer as a mark that that person is actually saved. Understanding truth, understanding good, understanding righteousness. And so notice this, as he's casting out a demon, this mute man speaks. And when the demon had gone out, the mute spoke, the multitudes marveled. And then some of them said, he casts out demons by Beelzebub, the ruler of demons. He says, this isn't actually a good thing. This is, this is an evil thing. Jesus has just set this man free. We don't know for sure. Maybe it was the first time in his entire life he'd ever spoken. And all of a sudden this man speaks and people are looking for something evil in what was done that was good. That's the heart of somebody that really is struggling with understanding who Jesus is. And others, notice this, how critical spirits can come in. And others, testing him, 
sought a sign from heaven. So when people come against you and you're trying to do the right thing, you do a good thing, and someone says to you, I don't like what you're doing. You might remember this passage. But Jesus, but he, the Lord, God himself, incarnate in human flesh, Jesus who is the Christ, the Lord of heaven and earth, the great I am, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is brought to desolation, and a house divided against a house falls. If Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? And because you say I cast out demons by Beelzebub, in other words, you say I'm demon-possessed, the reason I can do this is I'm actually demonically inspired. If I cast out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your sons cast them out? Talk about ow. Talk about in your face. Look, if, if I'm God and I'm casting out, okay, then who are you casting them out by? And therefore, they will be your judges. But if I cast out demons with the finger of God, then surely the kingdom of God has come upon you. Jesus begins speaking to these guys and just the context here, verse 11, if a son asks for bread of any of you and Jesus said, I will, will you give him a stone? If he asks of a fish, will you give him a serpent? If he asks of an egg, will you offer him a scorpion? So you can see the context. If you being evil know how to give good gifts to your kids, if you don't have a problem understanding how to do good and you're evil, Where do you think that leaves me as God? God's too loving. He's too wise to give us harmful gifts. And so God gives a great gift. And that gift for us as the body of Christ is the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. The gift that is in view here is the work of the Holy Spirit in the life of the believer. It's the birthright of every last one of you since the time of Pentecost. It's that mighty wind. It's that rushing wind that came upon them as they gathered together and the, the Spirit filled the room. Uh, and now Luke shows us the Spirit working in the church. Shows us the Lord casting out this demon by the same Spirit. The Holy Spirit is God. Jesus is God. They're working in concert one with another. And so if Jesus gives the Holy Spirit to all believers, you think He could ever do anything demonic? And the answer is, of course He couldn't. And so the Lord is doing this incredible thing by the power of the Spirit. And we who are believers do what we do by the power of the Holy Spirit. We attribute it to the things that God is doing in our world. And so Luke brings this kind of in view of what he will describe in chapter 12 as the unpardonable sin, the blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. And these guys were right on the edge of it. And the reason this passage to me is so important is this shows you how this works. This is what happens to people when they gain a critical spirit and a critical heart and they come to church and they listen to messages and they hear the word taught and they may even read their Bible and they stand and they cross their arms and they, they listen to the music and they can do nothing but complain. Well, you know, I didn't like that one. 
I wish the music was this or the music was that. That's the beginning of a hardened heart. That's someone who can't turn their eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. They're more worried about the grammar. They're worried about the color of the room. They're worried about lights. They're worried about sound. They're worried about all kinds of things except the Holy Spirit would work in their life. And so Jesus begins to speak to them and and is beginning to, to bring us into view of chapter 12. And we'll not get there tonight. But that's where he's going. And Jesus begins to expound upon something that I think we, we probably ought to talk about. You see, the seriousness of sin is always measured by who that sin is against. And it, it really boils down to, to rank or to dignity. And you can look at it in a military con- context when, when two soldiers are off duty and they're off base and they're someplace and they get into an argument and they punch each other, nothing's going to happen to that. Happen to that. They go back to the barracks, it happens in the barrack and they, barracks and they punch the drill instructor, something is going to happen. They're probably going to spend some time in the brig. If that happened to be an officer, they're going to spend a lot longer in the brig. And if it happens to be the commander-in-chief, they'll be very fortunate to get away without being shot and killed. The higher up you go, the more offense there is. And the same is true with the Lord. For us as brothers and sisters to offend one another, it surely is not right. But when you take a shot at Jesus, it's a really dangerous thing. And that's what's in view here. These guys are actually calling into question the goodness of God. The generosity of God. The healing of God. The work of God in somebody's life. And that is the first step to denying that God is good. That He exists. As this passage begins to to speak into our lives, the Lord basically exposes the nonsense of the suggestion here. And and as He does so, he, He makes it very, very clear what's being said. He says, look, this is, this is in connection, really, with, with, with your sin. This is, I, I can read your thoughts. I know what you're thinking. Can I tell you that God actually understands the motivation behind what you do? See, we, we fool each other sometimes, don't we? I don't know if you ever do that, but I think most Christians are guilty every once in a while of, pulling the wool over somebody's eyes by couching what they say in some Christian slang, some phrase that sounds really good and holy. And at the same time, they're, they're really trying to hide their intent, hide their intentions. But ultimately, when it boils down to whether we're going to offend God or not, God sees right through all those things. He can even read our thoughts. Matthew also records this event in chapter 12, and in verse 31, he says, Therefore I say to you, speaking of this time when Jesus is addressing the same group, he says, Every sin and every blasphemy will be forgiven of men, but the blasphemy against the Spirit will not be forgiven men. 
Now, the reason I share this with you is, is sometimes we get to that place to where we stop listening to the Lord in areas of our lives with things that are going on, and, and we say, well, you know, I'm just going to do it my way. I'm going to come to my own conclusion. And you begin to deny the work of the Holy Spirit in your own life because the Holy Spirit convicts of sin and righteousness. And so God's whisperings like the Holy Spirit's going, ah, oh, you really ought to go this direction or you really ought not go that direction. The Spirit is speaking and we stop listening. Anyone who speaks that word against the Son of Man will be forgiven. But if anyone speaks against the Holy Spirit, it will not be forgiven him either in this age or the age to come. You see, there's a seriousness with accusing God. As you think on this, it's a, it's a serious subject, but it should set us free. Because the way we need to view God is, is from what we know about Him, the truth of what Scripture declares about God. God is good. Amen? God is love. Amen? God is righteousness. Amen? He is truth. Amen? You see, we know a lot about what God is. We know how He responds. We even know the reason that He thinks the things He thinks. Because He's perfect. He's holy. He's righteous. He's just. He's incapable of evil. And so when you say things, when you accuse God, you're you're treading on ground that we as the body of Christ should never tread on. We shouldn't be accusing God. It's a trap that we can fall into sometimes when things don't go our way. Jesus is going to give us an example here of something that is unthinkable, something that's an unpardonable thing. You have to be very careful what you think about the Lord. First he notes the things that are in their minds. And this comes up in in really almost an air of encourageability about them. That their soul was wicked. You know, sometimes God does things that we don't like, amen? And when God does something that we don't like and we know God did it, can his motivation be because he hates our guts? No. When he does things we don't like, it's because he loves us. And so to accuse him of anything else is to doubt his character. And that's the point that Jesus begins to make. You see, firstly, these guys attributed the Lord's miracle to Beelzebub. It's actually an archaic term in Aramaic, and it means Lord of the Flies. He was the God of the Ekronites. You can find him in the Old Testament. The Israelites had actually taken that name and, and changed it to mean Lord of the Dunghill. And, and so this guy is actually talking to Jesus who just relieved this person of this demonic possession that they'd had that caused them to be mute for their entire life and, and now this man can speak and he's basically saying this is this is the lord of the manure pile that did this and that's a hard heart that can't rejoice when something good happens to somebody that you can't quite explain or maybe you wouldn't help them the way jesus did And I can tell you I've seen this in the church a lot. 
People that can't rejoice when something good happens in someone else's life because God has delivered that person. It's almost like they don't want God to be good to somebody else. They kind of want it, only God to be good to them. And when God does something, they feel like there must be some kind of wrong. Well, they don't deserve it. Look, here's the plain, simple truth. None of us deserve any of God's goodness. Amen? None of us do. None of us deserve God's goodness. I praise God, He's good. And He does good to us all the time. But these guys had, had really accused Jesus of linking arms with the devil in that sense. It's not a good thing to say that you think Jesus links arms with the devil. And you begin to, to, to misrepresent his character in front of people. And worse yet, to be attributing the mighty works of Jesus to the worst of all demons is blasphemy of the worst kind. Now here's where this touches our world. It can work in a little different way, and it works this way. When you attribute the things that God is doing to yourself, you're taking the glory of God. You're taking the the praise that rightly belongs Him. We need to be careful how we speak about the Lord. We need to make sure that we're accurate in the way that we portray Jesus to the world around us. In this case, this really reveals a soul that had become so far gone, it's as if they could never be recalled. And this is a scary thought. And I don't want anybody to be in here in fear. But when you think about the heart of man, and and you think about someone that could reach that place, and this person in this case was very religious and understood the God of the Old Testament, understood that, that God had throughout history been good to unrighteous people and then to begin to to place this type of shame upon the lord that's a heart that's really hard and a hardened heart leads towards a further hardened heart and you see that in the life of pharaoh you see pharaoh was given 10 opportunities to repent amen and each time what happens to pharaoh's heart it gets a little bit harder So instead of saying, God, you're right, this was a good thing, and I'm going to repent, you you turn a little bit farther away from the Lord, and all of a sudden, before you know it, you reach that place to where God, remember what's said there, God hardened Pharaoh's heart. It started off with just Pharaoh hardening Pharaoh's heart, and it ends up with God saying, if that's what you want, that's what you get. If that's the direction you want to go, I'm just going to ice the cake and I'm going to take you out. And I have met people like this. Matter of fact, I had one in my family. And he's since gone on to meet the one that he claimed allegiance to. You see, when you reach that place in life to where you blaspheme God openly, God meets that blasphemy with rejection. He says, if you want to reject me, I will let you reject me, but I don't have to subject the rest of humankind to your insidious nature. I'll just let your heart be so hard, you'll turn that corner so fast that you'll be someplace that you didn't think you'll go. So be careful 
what you say about the Lord Jesus. Notice in this, as you think about the incorrigible ways, the state of soul, basically they, they attribute these things to demons. It's like Jesus is healing a guy, and they're saying, that was the demon that did that. And there's a spirit of just complete lawless unbelief to the point that they say, look, we don't even believe you. Give us a sign. You need to be really careful about what you ask God to do to follow up when he's already been good. Because sometimes it doesn't work out so good for you. You see, the the recipe to get away from this is a grateful heart that says, Lord, you're good. I don't quite understand how or why you did these things, but I know who you are. And I'm going to attribute goodness to you and generosity and mercy to you. And when you think of this, you have to put it into perspective because they're, they're demanding a sign from heaven. And Jesus is going to give them an example, pick up in verse 17 in a moment. And, and really what they wanted was some omen in the sky, something, you know, God to just, you know, do what we tell you to do. God doesn't work that way. God doesn't give us everything that we ask for. Matter of fact, sometimes he withholds information specifically so that we'll walk in faith. When you talk to anybody that's been in ministry for any length of period of time, one of the hardest things to deal with in ministry is trusting the Lord. Because it's not like a, you know, a, a climb on a corporate ladder where you, you know, go through your first apprenticeship and you're appointed to some position, then you get another position, and after that there's another position, and with it comes raises and benefits packages and all those kind of things. To be in ministry, you're trusting God from day one to the very last day that you breathe on this planet. It's a very interesting concept because it requires trust in the Lord. But sometimes people say, well, you know, I need to have proof. Every kingdom, Jesus says here in verse 17, that's divided against itself is brought to desolation. You know, when you you begin to get divided amongst yourself, that house is going to fall. Jesus would say in Matthew's gospel, and great will be the fall of that house. Satan's kingdom's not divided, folks. It's very much unified. And it's very much against us. One of the reasons it's so successful, it's highly organized from the lowest demon to the highest principality and power. But Jesus basically shows exactly what kind of nonsense it is that they're talking about. And he follows it up with one of his great stories. One of those parabolic teachings. You, you see, those frogs that were in Egypt were a prelude, if you will, to the death of the firstborn. God's saying, look, you can listen to me about flies and frogs, or you're going to be hearing from me about the death of the firstborn. The choice is yours. You want to trust God. You don't want to test God. You don't want to say, well, I don't believe that. So Jesus, in verse 21, gives this illustration if you will verse 21 it says and when a strong man fully armed guards his own palace his goods are at peace but when a stronger man than he comes upon him and overcomes him and takes from him all of his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoils what happens then of course in this picture satan's the strong man the palace is the world the goods are those 
wretched people that are under the sway of the enemy. But the one who's stronger is Jesus. Who are you going to trust in? Boils down to trust. Who are you going to trust in? Who are we trusting in? You're trusting in your own ability, your own ability to work things out. You see, Jesus had been healing people throughout the region of Galilee. He had done countless miracles. There was no reason to disbelieve or to think that this one thing, this one opportunity, was Jesus being anything other than what Jesus always is. And, and this is for us to, to remind ourselves this way. Look, God works in this world, and he's given us plenty of proof of who he is, how we need to trust him, even when we don't understand him. We need to trust him even when he allows things into our lives that we don't like. The Lord then exposes the nature of the suggestion, and he does so with three very specific steps. He gives a principle. He follows it with a parable and then he gives a a proclamation. And so as we look at these, remember what Jesus is saying. He says, and he who is not with me is against me and he who does not gather with me scatters. He said, look, I'm going to expose this whole thing. So when an unclean spirit goes out of the man and he goes through dry places seeking rest and finding none, he says, I'll return to my house from which I came. And when he comes and finds it swept and put in order, then he goes and takes with him seven other spirits, even more wicked than himself, and they enter and dwell there. The last state of that man is worse than the first. You see, Jesus exposes the nonsense of this because Beelzebub's not leaving a house empty. The Lord healed this man, but that man, if he listens to that unbelief and says, no, nah, it wasn't God that did that, and he doesn't turn his face to the Lord, all of a sudden this man's heart is now open to an even worse work of the enemy. He opens his heart to the things of of the devil. And so he gives him a principle in verse 23, he who is not with me is against me, and he who does not gather with me scatters. Can I tell you this? There's no neutrality in spiritual war. There is no neutrality in spiritual war. You're either on the side of the Lord or you're not. You need to be for Him. We need to be for Him. We need to not be against Him. You see, we'll help Satan scatter if we're anything other than for Him. And in view for the Jewish people as they were listening to this would have been the the diaspora that was coming. And, And by 70 A.D., Uh, Titus would sack Rome, destroy the temple. Jerusalem would be uh, laying in waste. And by A.D. 135, the Bar Kokhba rebellion, uh, basically the the first of the line of the pseudo-Messiahs that had plagued them through the century, the, the Jews never recovered from that. And they still haven't recovered. You see, persistent unbelief can do that. It can put you in a place that you never recover. And you don't want to be there. That's why it's so important family of God, when you have somebody in your life who continues to reject that you try and figure out a way to convince them uh, uh, in a different vein, in a different matter. I had, after services all day today, I had Buddhists, I had former Mormons, I had Jehovah's Witnesses, I had all manner of people coming up, 
that's right, I talked to my family. And and so we're sharing all kinds of ways to reach out to those hardened hearts. Don't let people have hard hearts around you. Don't let them persist in unbelief. It has a very horrible end. Jesus then, then gives them that parable. He says, when that unclean spirit goes out of the man, he says he's not going to find rest. He's going to find none. He's going to go back. I'm going to return to the house from which I came. He finds it swept. It's all put in. It's basically cleaned up. It's ready for the demon to come back. You see, if you don't fill that hole that exists in your life with Christ, then pushing out the good things that are already there is only going to open you up to be available for the next bad thing unless you fill it with Christ. And so these guys were saying, basically, look, we don't like the way you did this. We want you to, you know, cast out demons properly, basically. And so he gives them this this parable. He tells his story on two levels. He gives us a a fearful place to to look at this from, really. And he actually alludes to a prophecy that Isaiah gave in Isaiah 13. If you want to turn there, Isaiah 13, verse 21. And the prophet says, But wild beasts of the desert shall lie there, and their houses shall be full of doleful creatures. Owls will dwell there, and, and satyrs. Shall dance her satyrs were those half goat people that sometimes we attribute, you know, modern pagans uh, actually attribute those to Satan himself. And the wild beasts of the island shall cry in their desolate houses and dragons in their pleasant places. You, you see, if you let someone's life or if their life becomes, or if your life, worse yet, becomes a haunted ruin, eventually it's going to be inhabited by somebody. Somebody's coming back because we were all created for fellowship. And if you sweep the house out and you get it clean, you don't fill it with the Lord. If you allow it to stay empty, it will become inhabited. And it won't be good. That's why we're supposed to be given that gift when we become a Christian, the gift of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit resides within us, fills our house up. The prophet Isaiah is really using language that looks forward into the future, but basically from a, an Arab perspective, they were, they were talking about what happens still to this day. The nomadic Arabs believe that there are literal ghosts that inhabit the, the deserts of the Middle East. Apparitions. And if there's some place that's empty, you leave a house, you leave a tent, you leave something uninhabited, that those demons will come and possess those things. You you see, we're all supposed to be possessed by something. God wants us possessed by Him. The enemy wants to come and fill that place with something that's not good for you, not good for me. And you see, you can reform something, you can sweep it out, you can clean the house, but that doesn't make it regenerated. That, That won't fix the problem, that only makes it prepared. That's why nobody ever comes to a right relationship with Christ by just simply cleaning up their life. Because you can't clean it up enough to actually fill it up. It's got to be filled up by faith. You see, the leaders of Israel had just blasphemed the Holy Spirit. They said, look, 
We don't believe this stuff. And so Jesus is going to give them a proclamation that kind of puts all this to rest for us tonight. And he's speaking in the context of something that people still to this day fill their life with. You see, people still pray to all kinds of things. They open the door for all manner of things to be filling their life. You see the idolatry that the Pharisees had abhorred, that legalistic form of formalism, if you will, that the Pharisees held, the agnosticism of the Sadducees, the nationalism of the zealots, the worldliness of the Herodians, and the dead ritualism of all the priests. You see, there was something for people to do all the time. The question for every one of us is, will it be something that's well-pleasing to the Lord? The Lord's foes had gone to one extreme, and that was to slander Jesus. But now a woman goes to another extreme, and that's mushy sentimentality. Notice what it says, verse 27. And when it happened, as he spoke these things, a certain woman from the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts which nursed you. It's like a backhanded compliment. It's like, let's worship Mary. She had missed it the other way. Everybody else is looking, well, it's not him. He obviously is casting out demons by Beelzebub. They were looking right past Jesus. They were looking to anything but Jesus. Jesus is standing right in front of them doing miracles and they look past Jesus. And so this woman makes this proclamation. And I want to really wrap this up tonight with this. Look, all the things that, that we could talk about tonight, about worshiping Mary or praying to the saints, all those things are solved when you worship the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only is there no biblical support for praying, for Mary, praying to Mary or any of the saints for that matter, we just addressed this when we were in the book of Revelation, chapter 5, we readdressed it in chapter 19. We, we look at all these, these things that you could, you could pray to or through. Jesus shows himself so that we can worship him. He's not showing himself so we can go some other place. Or empty all the other things out so that it can be filled with something other than him. He allows those things to happen so that we'll fill our lives with him. And the power of the Holy Spirit. We're not to be praying any other way. And in, and in fact, when you think about 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 5, reminds us there that look, there's one mediator between God and man, and that's the man Christ Jesus. That's a pretty simple statement. There isn't any other. And unfortunately, when you look at, and it's really interesting if you want to Google search it, do it on your own. But when you, you type in a simple search, how many saints are there in the Catholic Church? 
you get anywhere between an innumerable amount, in other words, they don't really know. Some people will throw out there's more than 10,000. Some have a really specific number. 8,005 was one of the numbers that I saw. And then you have the official saints that you can pray to and through, which is 1,784. And then you have the really big guys that the Vatican authorizes, which is 932. And you start typing in all these, these search parameters, and it's like, how are you supposed to figure out how to get to God? You know, is there some hierarchy of, you know, who we should talk to? And so this woman says, look, blessed is Mary. Jesus solves that whole thing. Jesus himself speaks into the situation. He says, look, don't, don't stick anything in your life. That's a place that's reserved for me. And so he says, but he said to them, more than that, Blessed are those who hear the Word of God and keep it. Because you don't have to worry about blessing my mom. She's a great lady. But she's a sinner that needs a Savior just like you all are. And in the sense that she's a saint, every last person in here who knows the Lord Jesus is also, as far as Scripture is concerned, a saint. So I, I don't want to see any, you know, St. Jeff pens or whatever. If you have any of those, we'll have to collect them all and we'll burn them together or whatever. No, it's, it, we, we can go now because Jesus came and paid the price for our sin. He's opened up the door, the veil's torn. We can go directly to God the Father through Jesus the Son. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need to fill our lives with other things. We don't need to leave it empty until a greater revelation comes to us. We can simply believe in Jesus Christ, who is the Lord. And so that's not meant to be critical. It's simply to say that Scripture tells us how to do these things. And so what we don't want to do is open up our lives and push out the good things that God's already shown us so that we can receive something else that we like better. We want to allow God to work in our lives. Basically, Jesus is saying, look, you, you don't need to pray to any created thing. You can just do what the word of the Lord says. So this unpardonable suggestion, I'm going to bring the worship team back up. And as they're coming back up, this unpardonable suggestion, this, this thing that they, they, they begin this whole story with, because somehow, you know, Jesus would have, use demonic forces to cast out this demon. Not so. Because God is good. And He's generous. He also doesn't want our house left empty. He doesn't want us to do a bunch of cleaning up and then just leave it until a future date and time. He wants us to fill our lives with the, with the Holy Spirit. To be empowered for the things that God has for us. So when we think about our own lives, we need to see it the way these guys failed to see it. We can't be divided of heart. We've got to be unified of heart. We need to have God's heart. We need to see things from His perspective. We need to be willing to allow the Holy Spirit to work in our lives. 
And so as we wrap up tonight, kind of dim the lights and we're just going to worship a little bit. Maybe you're one of those people that you really have never asked. You've never invited that infilling of the Holy Spirit for the Spirit to come and work in your life. You, you see, if you have an empty house, it's going to get filled with something. And I would encourage you to seek the Lord to be filled with Him. If you're here tonight and you've allowed the enemy to get into your life and filled you up with other things, you don't have victory over sin. You've attributed those things in your life, maybe your own strength, your own abilities. And you want somebody to pray with you that you would be fully resting and trusting in the Lord's work in your life. As we begin to worship, we're going to have some pastors come forward. If you just need prayer, just come and be prayed for. Let God work in your life. Maybe you're one of those people that needs to do a little housekeeping to to sweep some things out of your life to get prepared for the good things, but you don't want to leave it empty. So do the cleanup and then fill yourself with the Word of God and with prayer and with fellowship, with the good things that God has for you. You see, the enemy's not divided. He's going to come at you. He's going to attempt to fill any void that's in your life with something that's not good. And we just simply want to be filled with Jesus and recognize that God is good. Amen? I'm going to pray. I'm going to have the pastors come forward and I'm going to worship for a little bit. And then we'll dismiss. Father, we thank you. Lord, we never want to attribute your goodness to anything other than you. Lord, we never want to mistake the things that you're doing in our lives for some other work. And so, Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what the Spirit would say to us as the church. And God, forgive us in those times when we have made a mess of things. Lord, we, we've allowed the enemy to come back in and inhabit some area of our life. Maybe it's an area of unbelief. Lord, maybe it's an area of active sin. Lord, maybe it's something where we cleaned out a corner and, and then what filled it was not you, it was something else because we left it unfilled. We said no to the thing you want to fill it with. You wanted to fill it with your word and with prayer or with a heart for people and, and we tried to selfishly hang on to that corner and it got filled back up with junk. And so we pray, God, that you just give us the ability to get a fresh start and a fresh infilling. Lord, we do pray for the Holy Spirit to come upon this place tonight and begin to work, Lord, in a fresh way uh, in us. Grateful, Lord, are we for that power that came first at Pentecost that still comes, Lord, that enables us to be engaged in the ministry that you've called us to. And so, Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. Lord, as we turn our attention to prayer now and to worshiping you, Lord, would you, by your Spirit, fall upon this place. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.